Hey, everybody. We're so excited to kick off this next episode from our series, I Wish Somebody Would Have Told Me. And today we're talking about church hurt and cultivating your faith after a hard season. And honestly, um, I think this is like a really great conversation for us to have. And I just want to lay the groundwork for you all. We're going to be talking about um, like what people say in churchy circles, the big C church, as in the overall overarching church, not one church in particular. And so we want to talk about our own experiences with church. Um, Some of these things may or may not resonate with you, but we also want to acknowledge that we each have very different experiences and expressions of our faith, things that we've witnessed in churches. Some are the same, some are different. And so we're just going to share from our own journey in hopes that it helps some of you guys. And maybe you're in similar boats um, to each of us. And we hope that like this is like a safe space for you to be able to listen to us process and For those of you, if along the way, maybe, you know, you've decided faith is no longer for you and that's okay. We're holding space for you too. And we want this to be an open-ended conversation from our hearts to yours. Yes. So we have all seen the landscape of church spaces, I think, shift over the years. I think there was a rapid kind of shift over the course of the pandemic as some churches had to pivot from like fully in person to totally online. Um, for everything, um, to have any Mm -hmm. kind of fellowship. Um, And how is that changing the landscape of churches as we are kind of emerging, we're leaving the pandemic stage of our lives with COVID? There are a lot of reasons behind this. We wanted to dig in part into our own origin stories and where we are with faith now. But yeah, I'm really excited for this as someone who has had a lot of like religious education, um, Masters of Divinity, and now I'm doing PhD in theology. Yeah, I'm just excited to have a conversation about um, my journey and your journey. And hopefully you guys will, something will resonate. And um, hopefully, I really hope that this is like a blessing and that you will leave this listening session encouraged. Yeah, I hope so too. So Catherine, like for you, when it comes to like faith and church, like what was your first introduction to church? How old were you? And are there any like fond memories that you have? Yes. So I was born and raised in the church. The church that I was raised in, my parents actually got married at. They were actually, we found this out when the church celebrated the their 40th anniversary and went through their archives. My parents were actually the first couple that the pastor married as the church was oh, formed. Wow. So like they joined when they were young adults. And so um, when they first moved from Austin to Dallas, um, so born there, I don't really have any pre-church memories. Um, and my parents were always really involved in um, in leadership. So for me, I do remember we spent a lot of time at church, a lot. I remember when I was in high school, it kind of became an issue because we always went to church on Wednesday night. Like I was in Awana. My parents were Sunday school teachers. They were big in Christian education. My dad was the money counter for a while. Like after <laughs> church, we'd have to stay late while he helped count tithes and offering. Um, but I remember in high school on Wednesdays, I had like cheer practice and I would have to leave cheer practice early. My mom would come pick me up to like go to Wednesday night youth service. And I would just be like, mom, I do not, I am 16 and I can decide (laughs) and I don't want to go, you know, and it just is that teenage thing. And I like wanted to wear like my cheer clothes, which were like totally inappropriate for anything outside of cheer practice. And, um, some arguments ensued about that. 
But I have a lot of fun memories. I feel like I just have such a fond place in my heart for that place. Um, Even as I think I have changed um, some of my thoughts about things theologically, just I think the people, I was mentored really well. There were some women there who got married later in life and were just really, really pivotal, like, I really believe, I think this is why I love youth ministry. It's like my favorite ministry of the church. Um, That that is a season of life that you just need community. And Mm -hmm. I had a really good one. And so um, those are some fond memories. I have memories of like vacation Bible school and that punch. Do you guys remember that like weird punch that every church seemed to have? That it wasn't quite Kool-Aid, but it wasn't quite lemonade or iced tea. Um, (laughs) You know, and the like songs and like, yeah, I have a lot, you know, of, I feel fortunate that I have a lot of um, fond, fond memories, but yeah, it was, yeah, we had it, I had a good, I had a good experience even now, um, and even still, like, my parents are still members there, and just, even just with my dad's illness, the way that they've, like, loved and cared for us during the season, I'm mm. definitely, um, someone I think because of my experiences that that places really a high value on church community and family mm-hmm. what about you I was raised in church so yeah I I don't remember not being in church when I was young and yeah my parents are always really involved volunteering or um, in some kind of leadership position in ministry Um, they're both like ordained elders and yeah, they just have kind of like always been in ministry, which meant I was always in church. (laughs) Um, I think that my fondest memories are probably, I'm going to say coming from like my teenage years, being in youth group back when, you know, I like to call it the youth group movement because youth group in 20, you know, 20 and beyond and really even before then let's see 2018 and onward really is just different because our generations are different yeah but back then before the internet took over you know our lives as a teenager like you you weren't just on your phone constantly yeah you know you were on the internet but like you were with your friends you wanted to interact you wanted to see people in person and so I really made a lot of different like friends lifelong friends from different phases of life in church and like some people like honestly that I still keep up with and and know like they actually might not even go to church anymore but like we just like talk and you know have built such great community and I talk a lot to people about like the community you're able to like form in church and um and have like it's really hard to replicate that like outside of church you can do it it's just harder and so um so yeah I I think some of my most fond memories are those people the youth leaders that I had that are still in my life to this day uh, just people that like I highly respect and and have like poured into my life in different phases and and all of that stuff I would definitely say really positive experience for me and I'm thankful that like as a teenager, like, I would say, like, outside of some of the, you know, weird purity culture things that I think churches were doing back then, that was, like, really harmful. Um, I I would say, like, other than that, I feel like most of the things, like, I had a pretty positive experience. Like, 
um, for myself in church. And, and granted, like you, there's things like from the church that I grew up in when I was a teenager that like theologically, like I might have like some differences now, but like I still really think fondly of that time and, and those people and there's some really great people there. So I don't necessarily like... I, I didn't go to, like, a church where I personally felt like it was, like, a ton of just, like, super rigid, really, like, religious kind of, like, rules that are just, like, super damaging to people. Like, I've heard of different people's church experiences, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I get why, like, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. get why you're done or whatever, because, like, it was, like, basically, like, a cult and people controlling their lives and telling them what they could do or people you can talk to or not talk to or all this other stuff. I didn't have that type of experience. So, yeah, I am able to look back on that time with some fondness, which I do appreciate. Um, okay, so we were just talking about youth groups and the youth group movement and like how big it was. So back then there was conferences. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. This is pretty more so evangelical church spaces, I would say more than black church spaces. Yeah. But there was conferences like Acquire the Fire, Passion. I can't think of any other ones right now, but big ministries, YWAM, etc. Around that time when I was coming up that everybody was throwing these really big events. How do you think if you experience those things or something like that, like, do you think those things for you, if you can look back now as an adult, were like helpful for your faith or harmful for your faith? So I grew up in a black church. I would say black evangelical, like evangelical beliefs. Um, the pastor went to Dallas Theological Seminary, so has that background, but it was black pastor, black led. We did have a few, like one of the, when I was in middle school, the guy that led the middle school ministry was like a young white guy who we loved. It was so cool. I think he had actually grown up with Vanilla Ice, which was just, <laughs> you guys don't know anything about Vanilla Ice, but he is from so Grand funny. Prairie, where I'm from. Our two claims to fame in Grand Prairie are Selena Gomez and Vanilla Ice. And the fact that we had a youth ministry leader that knew Vanilla Ice before he was Vanilla Ice was very cool to us <laughs> when we were 12. <laughs> so I would say for Black Church, I did not have, we didn't go to Passion or Acquire the Fire. I, I don't think I've, I, I honestly don't think I've, even, I went to White Church in college. I don't think I went to Passion even then. So I don't have experience with those particular events. I will say um, some of the like purity culture messages did filter down. I do think that when you're a kid and a teenager, things are made very black and white that are maybe not black and white as mm -hmm. an adult. And I think to say that it's not black and white is not to say, oh, I want to live a life of sin or I don't believe in holiness or righteousness. I just think the line sometimes it's just like people like, for instance, I'll give an example. So this will make it easier. Like just being socialized that like girls do not ask guys out. Like you have to wait for a guy to notice you and ask you out. Mm -hmm. And then being treated as like, you know, that some sort of, you know, sin if you are like oh I like this boy let me tell him I like him then it's like oh you're fast right. and I think you know relatedly I don't know if your youth group did that like petal thing where they passed around oh, the flower yes, they and did. then it's like so damaging you know you're damaged and I just think that like one that's not true and then what does that communicate to someone who maybe their virginity was taken from them without their consent or even people that chose to have sex before marriage to say then that you can't have a healthy um loving 
Christ-centered marriage because, you know, you made a stupid choice or you made a choice that, you know, that maybe you didn't feel stupid at 17 just seems really um, not helpful. And I, you know, and I understand where it's like the sort of um, larger ideal around like Christian sexual ethics. But I think some of the ways in which that was tried to simplify um, for teenage audiences was really damaging and like long term, um, I think doesn't, lead to as many healthy marriages as we were promised um in our like um like little purity class sessions Mm -hmm. but um but yeah so i would that's what i would say is in terms of what i think that would resonate in sort of like larger maybe outside of the black church experience that is kind of the most obvious thing to me Hey everybody, my name is Faith Brooks and I wrote a book called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. My new book releases January 17th and you can pre-order it right now wherever books are sold. I would appreciate your support. For me, I would probably say because I, I went to Acquire the Fire and I went to this other thing. I just don't know what it was called. I don't think I went to Passion though. Um... But one thing that I would say was really kind of pushed a lot was kind of like missions and this idea of like going out to spread the gospel. And that was really big for me. I really like thought, okay, maybe I should do some type of mission. I I was really into like helping people and I liked that. But then it took it took college. It took me going to college and going on two trips that were like, you know, mission trips. One was more like educational, kind of like we were doing more education type work. And that really took those experiences for me to look back and be like, I don't I don't agree with this anymore. Um, because everything was so mission focused. But I also saw the other side of how people were really excited to go to a different country and help others. But but like but weren't but they have like a different attitude about like poor poor people of color in the United States and immigrants yeah. and all this other stuff and, but then when we would go over to other countries it was like a different story and we're helping these poor people and we're doing it for the gospel and I, I just got so it I it caused a lot of like conflict on the inside of me because I remember thinking like are we actually like helping? And I remember I went to one country, I think it was Haiti and they were saying, yeah, churches come here all the time trying to help. Um, but they want to do things that like, we don't always need help with. So we'll let them help build, build a building and eventually just like tear it down and, and use the materials for something else because like, we don't really need that, but, but that's what they want to do. So we let them do it and I remember thinking like like who do we think we are in the United States like who do we think we are like going over these places making these people you know you know build building things that they don't even need us to build like you know um I just thought that was just so wild to hear that story and I was like I don't want to contribute to that like I do not want to be a part of that whatever that is that's not helpful that is like 
all about making like patting myself on the back like I don't want to do that because it's so easy for us to all slip into that we like feeling good we like feeling like we were helping and doing something but I would definitely say that's a big thing that I I felt kind of like a conflict with um and also just because like the people that would be really eager about doing those things didn't have like an eagerness about fixing things in our own country for people who um, were of a different socioeconomic status. And so I thought, what a, what a time. Um, So yeah, that was, that was definitely a big, that was a big thing for me. That's crazy. (laughs) Wow. We just let you guys do whatever you want. And it's like, yeah. And I think you have to be very sensitive to like the power dynamics, like, um of when you're doing missions and I don't necessarily think that it's bad to like want to go and share your faith but I think you have to have a good theology of like missions and and, um, as part of that understanding power dynamics so that you're not doing what you just you know like what a waste of time and resources why not just give them the money to do what they like you have an your church has an excess of resources obviously just give them the money you know, and what a good exercise would it be to like go to a place as like an American privileged person and have to listen to and learn from someone else, like not to come in as an expert. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love that was the thing I loved about our trip when we went to Rwanda mm-hmm. so many years ago is like, yeah, we came as learners. Like we didn't really do anything but sit and like listen to people tell us exactly. about th- themselves and the work that they were doing. And it was great. Um, OK, so. When do you think, is there like a moment that you can point to that your beliefs started to shift, maybe about missions or other things? And then what has that journey been like? I would honestly say after I, after I, after slash during college, I went to a, um, Assemblies of God University and I, I didn't even know what the Assemblies of God was um I like grew up non-denominational so I, I just didn't know anything about a lot of denominations to be honest with you and so yeah after I went to this university I just came away with a lot of questions because I also experienced a good deal of racism and it just really like caused this kind of like crisis in my faith because we were you know you had to go to chapel every day and wait every day Yes, every day. And chapel was like church, like a church service. So like Mondays was like, Mondays was Bible study. And then um, Tuesday through Friday was like a, like a hour church service. Like you had to, you had like. So when did y'all have class? You had to do that and go to class? Did you not have yeah. any morning? You didn't have morning classes. We had like an 8 a.m. or something. I forget. It was kind of like, like 9, 10 ish. But yeah, every day you had chapel. Monday like Monday Bible study and then Tuesday through Friday you had chapel service um to go to and it was church like it was you have worship you had a a little somebody come up and you had a preacher and it was a whole thing every day and then on Sunday you had to you're supposed to sign out and go to church and that was like the beginning of my crisis of my faith with church in particular yeah because I I left college feeling like I was Jesus out. I was so tired of going to church every day because it was like, you got to go to church, <laughs> you know? And so I I think like by my senior year, much. I was like, I did not go to chapel the last semester because they can't kick you out. You, you were like your attendance, you had to attend. Like your graduation was um, based on your attendance. So anyways, 
if you do it in your last semester of your senior year they, and you're about to be done, nothing can happen to you. But all up until then, you have to go to chapel. So anyway, I would say that was the the beginning. And I think some of it was because I was like, this just doesn't feel like faith should feel like this hard or like a chore kind of, I guess you could say. And I was a very like works-based person like okay I just need to do this and this and this to be good with God you know and I grew up kind of in that era where it was like you have to just sit down you need to do your 10-minute devotions you need to do this with prayer and like I was just around a lot of things where everything was very methodical with how you're supposed to be with your faith and I really struggled to be methodical with my faith in the same way that I was like kind of like taught environmentally and I just felt like I just did not fit into the box of what you were supposed to be or how you were supposed to be with your faith because I didn't have, you know, if I missed my devotion time or I didn't do my thing in that way. Like, it's just, so yeah, I felt like, oh, I'm not good at doing it this way. People pray this way or people spend their time this way. And I just did not feel like I fit into the boxes that were there. And it wasn't until like I began to like grow and expand in my faith that I realized that I don't have to fit within these boxes for me to cultivate a relationship with God. And so I think that was kind of like the beginning of my questioning phase. Um, And then I, you know, I went into still doing a lot more stuff with church after that. But it still was like a really big journey for me to be able to come into my own. And I feel like still, it still is a journey for me as I've learned, like, you know, with my faith, what works for me and like how I interact with God and all of these things. So yeah, I I would say, gosh, if I could tell myself something back then, I would say, gosh, faith, just keep it simple. You don't have to be so hard on yourself. Yeah, that's good. I think, yeah, I think if you grew up in church and your parents were in any kind of like public facing position, there was like a pressure to be a good church girl. Like, I just remember mm-hmm. having like um, a season, like I was baptized. I like accepted Jesus Christ as my savior when I was like six or seven. I was baptized at a young age. But I remember, I think it was like my junior or senior year of high school having like this kind of crisis of faith where I just wasn't sure. Um, and a lot of that was tied up to like my first boyfriend and like, I just wanted to be with my boyfriend and like was Mm -hmm. not interested in church things. So then I was like, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian because I like love this more than I love God. And I remember really struggling, but like feeling like I couldn't tell anyone or talk to anyone about it because like my dad was like an elder and my mom was Mm -hmm. like a leader of the children's ministry. And so then it's like, you know, what do I look like going down to like get prayer at altar call? And so mm-hmm. <laughs> our church like went to like a summer camp and I remember, okay, like I can say something to my camp counselor because this is like a safe space because they don't know me. They don't know my parents. This mm-hmm. doesn't have to get back to anyone. And just having like a very like frank conversation with like um, a camp counselor who was like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, and like but I just felt like like up until that like it just wasn't safe to have those questions I think in church because there's mm-hmm. this pressure I think you you know and you know I'm not a pastor's kid but I totally understand that like 
pressure because people are like, and especially we went to like a really large church and at our church, like the elders go down when they do communion. Our church did communion every Sunday. So it wasn't like a once a month thing. And so my dad Mm -hmm. was like in front of the congregation all the time. And so people, and I look just like him. So you're never not going to know like, right. I belong to him. (laughs) Um, And so yeah, it just, like, there's just this pressure to be, like, oh, Catherine, she's, you know, for people to have, like, mm-hmm. nice things to say about you when they see your parents. Um, I would say in terms of, like, a major faith shift, I probably in two stages. Like, in law school, the church I joined in Austin had um, women pastors, and I grew up in a church that that was not acceptable. Like, women could not be pastors. Like, women could be leaders, but you could not have the title pastor. That was mm-hmm. for men and s- married men, I think. I don't know if the married thing was explicit, but implicitly, because I don't think there were any single men in charge of anything, it was, like, married mm-hmm. men. And the pastor at the time was, like, my best friend at um, my best friend's dad and I remember asking him about it and saying I was like raised this way and he didn't try to convince me he was like okay well you know this is how we do it here and you know and he's like if that is a you know a deal breaker like no hard feel you know he kind of was like but I he was like just you know give it a chance and now I like look back and I'm like that was so <laughs> stupid no shade <laughs> sorry I don't want to hurt your feelings if you're still really tied to that but I just am like now I'm just like that was so dumb the woman who was the assistant pastor um, recently passed away, and it just was like we were sitting in um, at her funeral, and one of the women who presided over the funeral now was like ordained and on the pastoral staff of this particular church, and she, mm. when she got, got up to like give her, um, not a eulogy, I don't know what you would call it, she mentioned that she grew up the same way, and that mm. you know she would have never thought that she could be a pastor or preach or proclaim God's word because of her gender and like having Reverend Davis like go first. And I just think like, yeah, I'm just so grateful for her and like, and my pastor, Pastor Parker, cause he like, is a real advocate of women in ministry. Like he doesn't go places. He would be like, I'm not going. If she can't come, I'm not going. And a lot of people, I think (laughs) as I've gotten older will say, oh yeah, women can use their gifts to preach and teach. But like when push comes to shove or like they have to put money on it, they will not. And so I always appreciated that about him. And so, yeah, and like now I'm like, this is dumb. Like God has gifted men and women. And I think also too, when you read scripture in its context, that I just think doesn't, I don't think you can land on that. I think if you don't want women as pastors, I think to say that it is like a preference and you're reading scripture with a particular lens rather than to say it's unbiblical or Mm -hmm. people who, women who call themselves pastors are like the devil or whatever, because I'm like, they have as much scriptural support for that position as you have for yours. Yeah. It's just a matter of preference, you know, sexist, misogynist preference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And I think things are changing. I mean, yeah, even that church that I grew up in, his daughter's like an extremely gifted preacher, like so good. And she preaches on Sundays in other churches that are more egalitarian mm-hmm. and has ch- changed some things. Like now there's a process for women to be like ordained through the church. And like none of that existed when I was a kid. And so, um, but yeah, I think that's probably one of my biggest theological changes and then I think in seminary when you learn all the different stuff and I know some people are afraid of like religious education but 
I feel like it made my faith stronger. There is a deconstruction, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's also a reconstruction process. And yeah, it didn't hurt me to like learn that there are different theories of salvation and like it doesn't have to be just this one way and it could be all of these things or it could be, you know, um, that there, there, that there's freedom in that. Like the knowledge is not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that's good, you know? I think some people get like really caught in the idea of there only being one way, which I think is kind of silly and really Western because we have a like global view of like faith in the church and that comes from like very different cultures that approach God in different ways. And so like, who are we to say one way is like the absolute like best way, you know? So I think it's faith as a journey is, yeah, if you're not growing, if you're not changing, um, if you don't go through seasons of, like, wrestling with beliefs, um, for me personally, I would question, like, is your faith genuine? Like, the things that you believed about God when you were five shouldn't be the things that you believe about God at 55, because you've lived more life, you've had more experiences. And so I would say for those of you that are on a journey, like, don't feel bad that you're not where you started. Like, um, just, I think, remember the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Like, that it wasn't what they expected, but God still met them there. And so I pray that wherever you are on your journey, that God would still meet you. And I'm excited to consider continue this conversation in part two. I think this has been so rich. I love talking about these things with you, Faith. I know this has been a really good conversation. And like, I'm just glad that we can like have a just a really safe space to be able to talk about these things. Um, So yes, we are going to continue in a part two for you all, because we have so much to say um, as church girls that have grown up in church and our different experiences. So um, check out next week, we're going to talk more um, next week about church hurt, what keeps us connected to God and what we wish somebody would have told us about the church the big c church so we'll see you next week for part two bye